Samuel Chad. I believe his last name is pronounced like Chad, even though it has an N. It's C-H-A-N-D. So I don't know if it's Samuel Chand, like a N at the end to the D, or if it's just Chad. But either way, we're going to be talking about Samuel Chad's talk to the Minnesota District of the Assembly of God just a few weeks ago to the pastors there. Now, as people are starting to join me, I want to make sure that I'm coming through. So just give me an okay, a thumbs up that you can hear me and that the video is okay, that there's no lag or any of those things going on. And then the next thing is I want to make sure before I get into this talk about Samuel Chad to the Minnesota pastors in the Assemblies of God, that I am clear that I love Samuel Chad. Okay, what's up, Michael? What's up, Shabazz? Can everybody hear me okay? If you can, just let me know you can hear me. And if you can hear me, I want you to put this as a sentence under this live feed. Joe loves Pastor Samuel and thinks he's a great man of God. Okay, so thank you, Juan. He's letting me know I'm coming in good. Put this as a sentence. I want two witnesses. The Bible says, let everything be established by two or three witnesses. I want two or three witnesses that write out this sentence. Joe loves Samuel Chad and believes he's a great man of God. Not just a good man of God, a great man of God. What's up, Matthew? Okay, we got one from Michael. Michael is a witness that I am not talking today about rebuking Samuel Chad in gospel matters. This is not a gospel matter. This is not like some of the other talks where I've talked about John Gray not being transparent, living in an ungodly life with his emotional affairs, still being in leadership. This is not like I did with the pastor of Hillsongs and how he came against a good Australian rugby player who was posting Bible verses on Instagram. This is clearly talking about in-house issues, and I want to make sure you know my heart. I love Samuel Chad, and Joe thinks he's a great man of God. Okay, thank you, Rudy. Now, here's the talk I want to have today. How we are to pastor and do ministry, because I want you to think about this. I'm watching this live feed from the District of the Assembly of God. I won't say who of my friends shared it. And I'm actually enjoying it. I, I know the worship leader. You guys will love the worship. Enjoy it. It's good. Uh, just, you know, look it up. I'm not going to post it here because I don't want it to be looked at as if I'm... No, I will post it here. Just so it will be looked at that I'm not trying to cause any problems. And I will send this live video to Samuel Chad, his page, and ask if he wants to come on and do an actual live show. Because this touches on so many things in pastoring. So today we want to talk about pastoring and the attitudes we should have as leaders as we pastor, and the kind of people we should be pastoring. Okay, so it's going to be one side is for pastors, and the attitude that we should have as we pastor people, and then we want to encourage the people to have the right attitude. Now, I love the Minnesota district. I have preached in Minnesota to the Assemblies of God churches there. I have friends that are pastoring in the Minnesota district. I uh, would even recommend this video that I'll be taking clips from here to people to watch to be encouraged. For the most part, I think it's encouraging. But there is something that he carries on through this message 
that I really want us to see as a red flag for pastors, and then as most of you may not be pastors and are not pastors, I want you to see it as a red flag for how pastors actually think about you because of maybe your attitudes in the church. Okay, so today what we're going to talk about is how we as pastors should pastor our people and the attitudes that we should have and the attitudes that our people should have. And we have more than one witness here saying that I love Pastor Samuel Chad. He's actually a coach of pastors now. I have witnesses here that I love him and that I think he's a great man of God. Once this clip comes through, would you please tell me that you're here? Just one last time. I'm still used to getting used to this new technology. And uh, this may be a little bit more in-house, not so controversial for those of you guys who like it controversial, okay? So let me know what's coming through. I'll be stopping along the way. Let's go to Samuel Chad speaking at MDC, which I don't know what that really stands for, but I know it's the Minnesota District, maybe MD, and then that's Minnesota District and C, something in there, Minnesota District Conference or something. Let's join Samuel Chad right here. Let's go. Lord delivered me, set me free. I want to tell you, post-pastoring is amazing. Okay, now hold on, hold on. I got it at the wrong place. I'm going to reset it. But if you notice just already how this video started, post-pastoring is amazing, okay? And so that's going to be kind of his attitude all throughout this video. But let's start it from the beginning. I can do better. Let me start it from the beginning. And did you guys hear him? Let me know if you heard him, okay? Let's go from the beginning. Okay, now I got him paused. Hold on here. Hold on here. No, I had a I don't care muscle up there. God, dude, you would not believe this. I did all of this beforehand, and it was perfect, dude. Here we go. Here we go. I got it now. One more time. I know how to do this. I can do this. Let's go. Was, uh, with a group of church planters not too long ago doing a, doing a round table. And at the end of the round table, they said, well, so one guy picked up his hand and he said, if you could give me one piece of advice, what would that be? I said, quit. Quit. That's his advice. Quit while you still can. Nobody's going to feel bad about it. Because leadership is tough. Leadership is tough. Leadership is tough. Okay, so before we get into the next clip, let's just stop right there. He was asked by a group of church planners, what is his number one advice to them? And his number one advice is quit. (laughs) Quit while you still can. Now let's just stop and think about that for a minute. Are we supposed to, as pastors, talk to people about the ministry like that? Now, I know you might be thinking, well, maybe he's just joking, because obviously he wants people to pastor. He doesn't clarify it as he goes on. He, He just goes, ministry is tough, and he just keeps going. My friends, we in the ministry are not supposed to bear this kind of burden where we think it's literally better for people to quit than to do it. Thank you, Michael, for confirming that you could hear him. Did you guys all hear it? I want to make sure that you heard what I just played because he totally said, he totally said it would be better for you to quit than to do the ministry. I want you to listen to him one more time here and let's just see if you can hear it one more time. 
Lord delivered me, set me free. Oh my gosh. I want to tell you, post-pastoring is amazing. You know what's the hardest thing of moving this thing back and forth is getting the clip to be where I want it to be. Let's go one more time. Here it is. Listen to it from the so beginning. With a group of church planters not too long ago doing a, doing a round table. And at the end of the round table, they said, well, so one guy picked up his hand and he said, if you could give me one piece of advice, what would that be? I said, quit. <laughs> quit while you still can. No clarification. Nobody's going to feel bad about it. Watch. Let's watch him go. Because leadership go. is tough. Leadership is tough. Leadership is tough. Leadership is tough. I mean, you, you can listen to him. Please, don't just take my word for it. But let's see what the Bible says. Should we be telling people that ministry is so tough that our first advice to them should be quit? How does that make you feel, those who are watching right now, how does that make you feel as people in a church that you're giving tithes and offerings to? You might be on a launch team or something. How does that make you feel that pastors are being told behind the scenes that you are so difficult to deal with that it would be better for them to quit than to pastor you? How does that make you feel? Let me give you some of my thoughts I would hear back from that. I would be like, if you would rather quit than pastor me, then go do something else. Because I don't want somebody thinking they're doing me a favor by pastoring me as I'm giving you tithes and offerings. You know, think about the guy who's, who's digging ditches. You know, we always have construction around here. Can I get an amen if you live in a community that always has construction, okay? I see these construction guys. Now, say whatever you want about the city workers, and sometimes it takes three of them to do one job. I mean, you know, there's teasing even among city workers. I, I, I have city workers in my church and, and, and friends and family. But say what you want about them. Those guys are grinding, man. They're out there in the sun. They're digging ditches. Imagine that guy. He's giving his tithe to a church planner to start a church. They're wanting to do something amazing. And this guy's going to a conference being told that it would be better if he would quit now than pastor that construction worker. Now, I have been through problems in ministry. I have a book, uh, you know, you can get online for free in PDF or uh, 99 cents at Kindle, discipleship-based churches. And I talk about dying a thousand deaths. You have to get over yourself in ministry. Your feelings will get hurt and so forth and so on. But how in the world should we carry that kind of attitude and consider ourselves to be right with God? Jesus literally said, come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. We shouldn't be telling pastors, just quit now. It's that bad. What does that say towards what pastoring is? What does that say towards what the, what the people, who the people are? Look what the Bible says in Proverbs 18.21. The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. We should be the kind of people that speak positive of the ministry, even though it can come with challenges. We shouldn't say it's better to quit. Let's keep going here. Trying to watch, but it cuts out. How about everybody else? Can you guys watch it? Let me know if you're getting it. Um, Maybe that's just one person's feed, Tisa's feed, but I want to know if the rest of you guys can, can see what's going on here, okay? I'm going to try it here. Let's keep going. Let's keep going here. I pastored. Lord delivered me, set me free. Listen I want to tell to that. you, post-pastoring is amazing. Let's just pause right here. Did you guys hear that? He said, I, I've been delivered from pastoring. Do you know how often I talk to pastors that are like this? And by the way, let me just pause here because maybe somebody will watch this who does not have 
um, you know, a background on who I am. I've been pastoring over 20 years since I've been 22 years old as a church planner. I have had to close down churches. I've had to relaunch. I've personally had to file bankruptcy because I signed on a bad lease for a building. I talk about all of that in my book, Discipleship-Based Churches. I kind of know what I'm talking about. And I have a master's degree in Christian education, have been a pastor, of pastors, a professor, and I'm getting my doctorate right now from Regent University, my D-Men. Okay, so I don't care who you are. I don't care how long you've been pastoring. What is that? God has delivered me. Once again, a pastor, should you have that attitude that God has delivered me? Shouldn't pastoring be your greatest honor? Remember, there's somebody digging ditches. I have a plumber in our church that's an elder. I love him, Brother Andrew. You know, we had something going on with our, our pump, and he had to go down there. And there was a lot of nasty stuff stuck in there. And I actually had to back away. And I was like, oh, man, dude, that stinks. And he's just in there working. Bro, almost tears coming down my eyes right now. For me to complain to this man who works hard to give his tithes to me as a pastor, for me now to say back to him, God delivered me from pastoring you? He is literally saying, a plumber, I, I clean up doo-doo every day so I can give to this church to have a place for my family and so that the pastor can live and have a good life. And you're now saying back to me, you need to be delivered from me. Now, I know in just a little bit, he's going to clarify that it's problem people. And he's going to give you some solution to problem people. And he's going to call them some names in just a moment. Now, remember, this is not just a Joe Schmelt. This is a church expert. This is a man speaking, not just before a few pastors. He's speaking before the entire Minnesota district of pastors. So think of the whole state of Minnesota. And this is what he's saying. Now, of course, there's a, a point of comedic relief to it. I get it. I mean, I'm laughing too the way he says it. But he doesn't qualify it and then go, but it's also the greatest job I've ever had in my life. He keeps going with this. Now, let me pause here. Maybe this is a good point to pause. Maybe this is a good point. hope I don't mess my stuff up too much. But do you think it's any wonder with this kind of way of looking at ministry that pastors drop out so much, they don't have longevity, they struggle with depression, they have lo loss of close friendship, lack of close friendship, they're discouraged, they have unhappy families, the, the churches keep closing, they have low self-esteem, a lot of churches are dying, and we're losing ground in the culture. Do you think that could be because we are not speaking life over our people, that we are not letting Jesus carry our burdens. I mean, let me just go here to, to the end of Matthew chapter 11. What does Jesus promise his people? What does he say to them? Look at what he says. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. Come on, how many believe Jesus is gentle and humble in heart? And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my load is light. Isn't that supposed to be all of our testimonies? Now, I know Paul says, like, I bear the burden of the church. Yeah, but don't we bear the burden with Christ? We shouldn't be so negative. Let's keep going. Let's listen to him. They're all laughing. That's hilarious. I right? didn't know I had a I don't care muscle up there. He just doesn't want to care. Isn't it amazing when you just don't care? Try, try, try. 
So think about that. This is why I'm saying I'm living out Samuel Chad's fantasy. I don't care either about the problems. I don't care either in that sense about care equaling depression. I care only as much as Jesus cares for my burdens. And so when I care to the point where it discourages me, I'm caring in the wrong way. The kind of care we need to have is we trust the church with Jesus. We cast our cares on him. Haven't you heard that song? Cast your cares on him or cast your cares on me. I don't know, some song like that. Cast your cares on me. Somebody who knows that song, maybe put it up. We are to cast our cares. I'm not to care like I'm people's saviors and a savior. And if they don't come to my church or they get offended, then I'm now going to be depressed as I've heard so many pastors be depressed. So in this sense, I'm living out Samuel Chad's fantasy. I don't care because I give them to God and I care only the way he cares. I go to bed every night with a clear conscience, whether people stay or go. I know that I've served the Lord. And when those cares turn to tears, I bring my tears to Jesus so that I can have all of my emotions healed. Let's keep going. Let's keep going here. Let's, uh, let's hear what else he has to say. It's good for you. It's good for you not to care. Let's keep so I've going. I've been in church all my life. I got saved when I was seven. I've been saved off and on since then. My theology allows me to do that. Off and on since then. It's funny. I got filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit when I was nine. But, and, it, and now I travel all over the world working with churches. My, my work is working with senior pastors and churches. Which is basically telling them to quit ministry, that you should have an I don't care button, and remember that one day you'll be delivered from this job. That's, that's his advice for them. And I've Have anecdotally to. come to a conclusion that at least 10% of your church are just devils. Tongue-talking demons. Now, I know some of you are saying, only 10%, I got more. Now, just think about this for a second. I have always used the principle that at any given time, we can have a Judas among us, one out of 12, somebody that will betray us. Now, he goes to this next level and says that we have 10% of our church not filled just with disgruntled people, but fully demon-possessed people. And that some of you have a church with more than 10% of your people being demon-possessed. Now, I just want to ask, yourself, ask, ask you a question, and I want you to ask yourself this. How would you feel if you were one of the pastors, uh, what, your pastor was there, you, your church was represented there, and your pastor is raising his hands or laughing going, I have over 10% of my church being filled with demons, people that are demon-possessed. How would that make you feel as a church that, man, my pastor is sitting there going, yeah, 10% of, of this congregation is demon-possessed. Let's keep going. And I know somebody's saying, is he a comedian or an apostle? Uh, uh, it's a good question is, what is his position? Well, he used to be a pastor, and now he's a coach to pastor. So this is how modern-day church growth pastoring is going. Let's keep going. I know who you are because you, you had that disappointed look on your face saying, but I got more. Ten percent, ten percent, ten percent. So if you got a church of a hundred people, how many devils do you have? Devils. It's okay to say ten. 
people coming to your mind right now. So don't look at me like you don't know what I'm talking about. They, they might be sitting next to you. I don't know. Listen to these people laugh. Listen to these people laugh. I might be sitting to a devil right now. My youth pastor may be a devil right now. He may be one of your 10%. Now, could, could we explain this better? Absolutely. We could say at any given time, people may act like the devil. 10% of your church may act like the devil. At any given time, there could be uh, one out of 12 people having issues that may be in the pipeworks of your problem-solving protocols. All of these things are true. There's a certain percentage of the church that's going to be problematic at different times. So we should always have in our mind a certain level of problems that is normal. So as the church gets bigger, there's going to be more problems. But how did we go from being realistic about the problems we're going to face to now literally calling them devils? My friend, if someone has a devil, you are to cast them out. If they would be sitting next to you, that would be someone in a, in a pastoral position. These are only for ordained pastors can go to these meetings that I'm aware of. I, I, I thought that when I was in the Assemblies of God district of uh, Louisiana and you were brought to these meetings, you had to be credentialed or licensed, maybe a spouse of someone that's, that's in that position. But uh, I don't know if they let the general public come there. Okay, so, so at the very least, you'd be sitting next to a leader, a spouse, and at the very most, you might be sitting next to your pastor. So... If you were an associate pastor, you might be sitting next to your senior pastor and senior pastor sitting next to your associate pastor. And he's like, they might be a demon right now. Now, I know once again, there is a part of comedy to this. But how in the world is this helpful? I don't think any of this is helpful. It's really more confusing. It's not making the issue better. I think it's making it worse. Let me walk through the rest of this here. Maybe I won't stop so much. Let's go. I mean, this is my first time with you all like this. So, so, so if you have a church of 100, how many devils do you have? If you have a church of 500, how many devils do you have? Mm-hmm. A thousand, how many devils do you have? Ten thousand, how many devils do you have? Listen, if you can't handle ten devils, why would he trust you with a hundred? Pastors do I have you? How many pastors do I have you? Okay, let's keep going. Okay. If somebody had told you back then, when you started, what you'd be facing, would you still be in it? Yes. See, he, he tricks us. He tricks us. No, he doesn't. He see, see, now he's going to say we get tricked. I'm sorry, i got to pause this. Hey, would you still be doing what you're doing if you knew what you'd be going through now? Yes. I was told, blessed are the persecuted. Can I just put up that scripture for us? I was told by Jesus that they would treat me just like they have treated him. What, what did you guys think you were getting when you were coming into ministry? This is the part of, you know, pastoring. I don't understand. What, did these guys join the ministry to become rock stars and now they realize there's actually work being involved and they don't like it, you know, so forth and so on? Dude, I expected there to be a sword. The Bible says, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword uh, to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother. I came expecting this. The Bible says, if I don't count the cost, I'm not worthy of being his disciple. The Bible says, don't be afraid of those who just killed the body, but can't kill the soul. The Bible says right here that you're going to be treated just like your teacher. You can't be a 
above your master or your teacher. And the Bible says you'll be hated by everyone because of me. What is this brother talking about? Somebody tricked him. Nobody tricked him. When he starts to talk about the prophet Isaiah, it was Isaiah's misunderstanding of the call. Isaiah thought that when he was going to be preaching repentance, that they might have a Nineveh kind of moment. And so he said, oh God, you tricked me. But God said, no, I didn't. So now he's saying here that God actually does trick you, that he, he doesn't want you to know what it's going to be like when you come into ministry. That's an absolute lie. Jesus told us exactly what it was going to be like. You would have to count the cost, that they would teach, tr treat you just like they do your teacher and master. And in the Beatitudes, blessed are the persecuted. He tricks us. He sets us up. No, it's, like a, it's like Isaiah, you know, he, he, he gets this promise from God and then he's hanging and he says, I'm going to quit preaching anymore. Well, you tricked me. You set me up. No, God didn't. I have these fantasies. Since I'm not pastoring anymore, I have these okay, fantasies. Let's listen to the fantasy. Here's his fantasy. This is where I want to say. <laughs> this is where I want to say, Samuel Chad, let me coach you. Samuel Chad, I mean this in all respect. Please, I'm sending you this video. Let me coach you. I will have a free coaching session for you and all of your staff, free of charge. I'll do it on Zoom. I will coach you to help you to help pastors live out this fantasy because I live in this fantasy. Everything that you are considering a burden of ministry, God has delivered me from and I'm going to pastor to the day I die. I'm not even retiring from pastoring. I don't look forward to that. Now, if somebody does retire, I'm not to judge them. I mean, maybe that's something God called you to do, to do something else. Please do not hear that as being some legalistic thing here. The Bible says, who are you to judge another, uh, you know, ma another master's servant? I'm not here to do that. But I'm here to tell you, uh, Samuel, my brother, I will coach you to help you coach coaches on how to live free from all the things you've already complained about. Uh, I will help you to coach uh, church planners to say that quitting is not my number one advice. My number one advice to church planners is take up your cross and follow Jesus, baby, because it's going to be awesome. And you will die a thousand deaths, but those deaths will only come to, a, to the extent that you love your flesh. So if you've got the flesh under control right now and you've crucified it, it's going to be nothing but joy for you. Even in the midst of suffering, he told us to rejoice in persecution and all of those things. And then the idea that you want an I don't care button, I live with an I don't care button, meaning I don't care outside of what God cares about. And God today is not fretting over the church. God today is not worried over the church. God today is not bothered by it. God is loving his church. He's blessing his church. And whatever concerns he puts upon us, he carries with us. So his yoke is easy and his load is light. And for, for you, my friend, that want to kind of uh, tell pastors that they were tricked by God, maybe I should help coach you to coach them so they won't be tricked by God. I will make sure that they won't be tricked by God. I'll go through this series like I'm doing in our Sunday church, verse by verse through Matthew, so there'll be nothing up their sleeves. And guess what? Once again, for those who don't know us, we have over 10% of our 200 plus church called into ministry going to Bible college. And I just talked to another brother the other day. He's thinking about being a chaplain. Another one of our elders is pursuing being a chaplain in the military. We see secular people coming to the ministry all the time. Do you know why? Because it looks so awesome what God is doing. Sure, we get bruised and beat up and persecuted, but it's awesome what God is doing. And people are actually drawn to it in our church. It's actually an honor in our church to do it. Our plumbers are great people to pastor. And I'll help coach you to coach them. How does that sound? I'll come to the Minnesota district and let's redo this conference and I'll give you guys an entirely different talk on these things that I think Samuel Chad has kind of missed a little bit. I love him, 
Remember we said from the beginning, but I just want to say we could do this a lot better. Let's keep going now to his fantasy. I have many fantasies, but can I share this one fantasy with you? Share that fantasy, brother. Share it. Twice a year, I would have this what I'd call bless and release Sundays. Okay. And the altar call would be something like this. All of you want to leave the church, come on down. Bless them, release them, and everybody else claps as they go. <laughs> don't let the door hit you too. I have many fantasies, okay. but can I share one fantasy with you? Okay, now let me ask you a question, because I love this brother. I'll keep him up on the screen just for a few more moments. Why do you think, he says, now that I'm not pastoring, I have this fantasy that I could actually give people in my congregation, or God's congregation that I oversee, the choice to leave and then bless them as they go? Why do you think now he has that fantasy? Could it be, and I don't mean to speak to his heart because I don't know his heart. Could it be because while he was pastoring, he feared man? I give ultimatums to our people almost once a week, if not once a month, that very same sentence that he said. If you don't want to be here, we bless and release you. How many of you watching this live feed right now have heard me from the pulpit or from the recordings you've heard online give people in our church an ultimatum? And if you can put up maybe the times you've heard it, maybe say how often you've heard it. Once a year, twice a year, you've heard it since you've been a part of the church. Can I get some of you to comment so that you can verify what I'm saying is true? We pastor a growing church that grows anywhere between 10 to 20% every year. We pastor a church that is thriving in the ministry. Over 80% of our people are in discipleship. And yet, I don't have... Any, uh, any way of relating to anything he is saying right now. Why? Because I don't wish I would quit church planning. I don't want to be delivered from pastoring. I don't think that God tricked me, and I'm not holding back the kinds of things that I should be saying to our people continually, as Jesus himself said continually, we should be counting the cost. Amen. I see a sister here saying she has heard it at least three times a year, uh, this year, so since January. Why do I do that? Now, please, let's go back to these stats. God bless Samuel Chad. I love him. I love him. He's a great man of God. I'll post the message here. I still believe there's good things you can get from it. I do appreciate what he says. He does talk a lot about the leading is bleeding stuff. I've already addressed that in another sermon series. I don't believe God's leaders are supposed to be bleeders. I believe that we're supposed to stop bleeding so we can lead. We're supposed to be healed so that we can heal. Broken people are not meant to help heal uh, other broken people. Healed people are meant to heal, broke, heal broken people. But could it be, once again, with these stats, and they're, you know, John Maxwell uses them, all the big names, Barna uses them, of all the pain and torment that people are in, in the ministry, could it be that the reason why pastors suffer so much depression, go through so many of these things that you see listed here, is because they are simply doing it wrong. They're doing it wrong. And, you know, maybe they came to that conference really wanting to be encouraged. And maybe they thought in some way, you know, this pastor relating to their, their pain was encouraging, but it, it's not true encouragement. 
the true encouragement, and I know he, he ties it together at the end, and, and maybe they might think I'm doing a bit unfairly. Maybe you should listen to the whole thing, and maybe he ties it together at the end that God carries your burden. I get that. But as you notice when he makes the statements, there's really no clarification of it. I could see if you want to be funny. Like sometimes I go like, hey, you know, I got these gray hairs from pastoring y'all, you know. I tease them. But they know that, you know, that pastoring is the greatest joy of my heart. I don't ever want to stop pastoring. I don't want to be delivered from it. I want to pastor for the rest of my life. And sometimes in my doctoral classes when we're doing these discussion boards, you know, they hear my testimony and all these things, and they go, well, brother, after pastoring, you know, 20 years, it gets a lot tougher, you know. And they don't, maybe they look at me, and they think I'm young, and I haven't been pastoring very long. I don't know. I don't know if I look young. But I write them back, and I go, brother, I've been pastoring over 20 years. Been pastoring over 20 years. I mean, what left is there for me to see? Uh, we've had to call the police on spousal abuses. We've had church uh, splinters. We don't call them splits because they're nothing compared to what God's doing in our midst. They're literal speed bumps, you know. Uh, we've had people lie on us. We, we've had people leave bad reviews on us. I mean, uh, like I said, financial issues. I, I wish I never would have signed on a lease in the middle of a recession thinking we could grow beyond uh, the building we were in, went to a new building, and I, and I went personally bankrupt. That was terrible. But you know what? Businessmen make bad decisions all the time, and they go bankrupt. It's not like we in the ministry face so many different problems that people in the world can't understand. People understand betrayal. People understand bankruptcy. People understand losing friends and family. What I think ministry is that's unique to those things is that most people may, may face betrayal a few times in their life. And pastors will deal with it annually, continually. And so we have to have a special amount of grace. Well, isn't that the reason why we get to have and are afforded the ability to spend all of our days praying? Like, pastor, let me ask you this. If you're a pastor listening to this, like Samuel Chad, Samuel, brother, can't you right now spend the rest of the day praying if you wanted to? Like, what stops you from praying? Like, let's say you're a conference speaker and you speak two to three times a week, okay? Well, there's 40 hours in a week. You have some hours of travel. I get that. You have some hours of preparation. You have some hours of speaking. What's up with the other hours? Well, I got to administrate. I got to do this. No, you don't. The Bible says if you're that big for your britches, you should have deacons serving with you. The church realized quickly, and let me just put this here, the church realized quickly in Acts chapter 6 that the administration of the acts of charity were beginning to be so much that they had to raise up deacons. So you can't have it both ways, pastor. You can't say, I'm so busy with all of these successful things I have in ministry that I can't pray and just spend time with God and be refreshed every day. You can't use that as an excuse because if you're so successful, you should be so successful at delegating. Why is it I get to pray whenever I want? I get to read my Bible whenever I want. We have pastors that help me. We, we give them times off to pray whenever they want. We make sure our administrators have administrators that work with them. Where did this ever become normal for pastors to speak so much burnout and so much just negativity? Let me just start it over from the beginning for those who missed it, and then I'll close with any questions you might have. Okay. Twice a year, I will have this what I call Bless and Release Sunday. Just send them out. <laughs> Why not just do that now? And the altar call would be something like this. All of you want to leave the church, come on down. 
Okay, well, why not do that now? See, that's my point. Why not, Samuel Chad, why not? If that's really the way you feel about people, brother, why not just do it now? And listen to his advice one more time on church planning. Here it is. Here it is. Let me, let me start it back over. If that's what pastors really feel, then get out the ministry. Do something so else. With a group of church planters not too long ago doing a, doing a round table. And at the end of the round table, they said, well, so one guy picked up his hand and he said, if you could give me one piece of advice, what would that be? I said, quit. <laughs> quit while you still can. Nobody's going to feel bad about it. You see, just in closing, should we feel burdened for our people as Juan is saying? Yes, we carry the burdens. Paul talks about that. He's been beaten and all of those things. And he was shipwrecked. I mean, that's real persecution, friends. But to those of you who are not pastors, isn't that discouraging to hear a pastor talk like that? Honestly, for me, it would be. You guys who are working right now, you're grinding. And I want you to think about all the churches that you go to, right? Like all the things that you're doing right now for those churches to be able to do what they're doing. Let me ask you a question. If your pastor said he wanted to be delivered from you, wouldn't that just discourage you? Wouldn't that hurt your feelings? Because don't you believe, don't you believe that ministers should love what they're doing, that they should love the people? Let me put up this scripture here as we get ready to close. Is there any questions coming up from you guys? Any feedback? You know, Paul says he's been through all of these things. This is 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-five 25 and onward. And he says, I face daily the pressure and concern from all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin? I do not inwardly burn. So he's saying I'm tempted. But he says, I don't, you know, I don't just stay there. He says, if I must boast, I will boast of the things that cause my weakness. Now watch what he does with that weakness. Keep going. The Bible says he cries out to God for this thorn to be removed from his flesh. But then God says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in your weakness. And then he says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. So we're going to boast in that we're weak. We can't do it. We can't do ministry on our own. It's too much responsibility. I get that. But he says, that is why for Christ's sake, I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So brother Samuel, why are you only telling the people about your weakness? Why are you doing that? Why don't you talk about how strong God is? Why not say something like this when the church planters ask you your number one advice? Why not say it simply like this? Rely upon God's grace and your weakness and you will be made strong. Isn't that a better advice to give people? That would encourage them. And then the people listening to their pastors every week would hear somebody not moaning and complaining and playing the, the sad violin, but hearing someone that is confessing weaknesses to God, but yet being made strong. How about this idea that you want to be delivered from pastoring? No, no, no. How about being delivered from pastoring the wrong way? Pastoring the wrong way can make you feel like you're always in somebody's turmoil. You're always in somebody's problem. And it becomes overwhelming. Like, like people who work with trauma victims and people who are always in those places, can they themselves have trauma? They call this also the, uh, the caring um, 
syndrome. I can't remember the name right off top, but those who care for the elderly and the sick, they themselves can have their own issues. Why not say, instead of being delivered from the heart of caring and being around people, you want to be delivered from the heart that becomes burned out in caring from people. And then instead of saying God tricked you, why not prepare people and the people in your ministry for what is honest ministry? Honest ministry is we're going to get persecuted. Like I got persecuted on the street the other day. Uh, people are going to leave bad reviews about us. Uh, th there will be a sword, as, as uh, Jesus said in Matthew 10, that we'll be separated from people we love. And carrying the cross will come with the cost. But yet, we'll be honored, as Matthew 10 also goes on to say. We'll be given cups of water. We'll be treated as righteous people. And so we shouldn't just look at the negative of ministry. The Bible also says that we'll be given double honor in Timothy. That we have a prophet's reward, a righteous person's reward to give to people. Shouldn't that be what we're saying? And then instead of saying like, oh man, I just wish I could kick people out of my church and all the pastors <laughs> laugh in the background. Why not just tell your church on a regular basis, if you don't like what we're doing, go do it somewhere else. We're not afraid of you. We're not afraid of you not giving to us. We're not afraid of having some empty chairs next week. We're okay with that. We only want those here who God wants. Isn't that what Jesus taught us? Isn't that why Jesus loved John the Baptist so much? I'll be talking about this next week. What made John the Baptist such a great leader? Because John the Baptist was somebody that preached the word of God and did not compromise. So are there any questions today? Any questions that you may have? I believe I am living out Samuel Chad's fantasy. I'll put the link here to his preaching. You can go back and listen to it. If you feel that I did it wrong, please put it under the comments. I don't feel like I took him out of context. I will also share this live video and the recording with his team. I would love to do a chat. We don't even have to call it a debate. Just Samuel Chad, come on. We'll call it uh, discussing Samuel Chad's fantasies. We'll call it that. Like, is it realistic to actually live in his fantasy world? I feel like I am. And, and let me say this too before I go as I'm looking to see if there's any questions here. I have sometimes my friends call me up and talk to me and we'll share problems. Trust me, man. I mean, we are always going through issues. I would, I would agree like 10% of our church is always in flux, but I don't call them demons, you know, and I don't like hold back from them. We actually do church discipline, try to work it out. If we can't, we move on. And in those rare times, we have to disfellowship people. Uh, you know, God has been faithful to our church despite all of that. We are always growing and seeing more than we ever have before. But sometimes my friends call me up and you know, they'll tell me their situations and then I'll say, yeah, I've been through those same things. I got you, man. I know what you're talking about. You know, had people leave, lose finances. I've lost big givers at different times, you know, especially when the church was smaller. Uh, we had one brother that was a large donor and he rolled out over an offense and it was like, oh my gosh, how are we going to pay the bills? I mean, this person's gifts was almost half the, what, you know, let's say we needed 2000 or 3000 a month. His was almost half that or something. And he just rolled out well, God made a way, right? And sometimes my friends, they, they say to me, dude, it, it almost looks like you're living in a different world. Like what world are you in? Every time I see you, you know, you're happy, you're hanging out. looks like you're in the sun, you're getting exercise. Uh, you know, as a pastor, I did wrestle with my weight, so I'm honest with that. But they'll say, you know, we see you for the most part happy and doing the thing. What's the difference, man? 
And I just tell them, brother, I'm not in ministry to get more nice houses and clothes. And I'm not here to get more TV ministry. If I get that, that's awesome. But I'm just here to do what God told me to do. I think a lot of where my friends burn out is they just want to compete with each other to try to get the next biggest thing, the next biggest thing, the next biggest thing. And that's where, you know, I'll name two names here, two brothers that I actually love as well. You know, Mark Driscoll and James McDonald. You know, you look at how driven they were in the ministry and how the people around them, the people that knew them the most, how it affected them, man, and how at the end these people just turned on them and it just went bad as well as Willow Creek. That it, they just grew it in worldly means. The Bible says we're not to grow it in worldly means. Like, for example, during the height of Willow Creek's uh, explosion, he was kissing on women in hotel rooms and they were afraid to bring it up uh, Vonda Dreyer, I believe is her name. I was following her on Facebook during that time. She was afraid to bring it up as the worship leader because she thought she would bring down the whole work of God. You know, that's how much fear they had of these people. Like, man, I, I'm afraid to say that this man was kissing on me in a hotel because we have 10,000 people. We're the fastest growing church. Well, how much of that was real growth? You know, you can get cancer to grow fast. You can get mice to multiply fast. You, know, you ever see how fast cockroaches can multiply? You know, and, and I just feel sorry for him. I really do. And I met James McDonald. I don't even know if I have his book right here, man. I met James McDonald. Yeah, let me pay honor to him and be realistic here for a second as I'm looking for some questions. So I live out here on the Elgin and Hoffman border. Hoffman is my backyard. It's a Hoffman Park. I can see Hoffman right here, right? So, you know, I'm in his area. This is a big area for these two churches, Willow Creek and, and James McDonald. And I met him at um, a Dunkin' Donuts with one of my daddy-daughter dates with, I think at that time it was Bethany. And he was awesome, dude. He was nice. Great guy. We talked. I met his wife and his son. Uh, he paid some great compliments to my daughter. He said, man, give me your address. I'll send, you know, because I told him I was a pastor. He sent me some free books. This is awesome, dude. I mean, I am not saying James McDonald was not an awesome dude in many ways. Uh, and he didn't even have a really like major sin falling like like Bill Hybels did, but he drove his people to the point, man, like when it started to unravel with the finances and the elephant's debt began to come out and Julie Royce of Moody Radio began to track with him and some of these board members that were just trying just trying to slow it down. He took them to court, dude. I mean, you know, if you're a Christian suing another Christian, you can't be right with God, dude. I mean, it was redonkulous. And then it comes to find out that Christian posts and other places start writing about him. And then he says, man, I wish I could put child porn on their computers and shut them down. The flesh becomes so controlling when you do it that way. I don't have to control our church in the flesh. That's why I don't need delivered from our church. The church, by God's grace that I pastor, with its flaws and its issues and with, you know, 10% always in flux, is the greatest place I would want to be. I love our church. The only reason why I would ever leave this church is to plant another Metro Praise Church, and I would leave it to someone else. But just hear my heart in that. And then, you know, I just think of Mark Driscoll. He's finally been restored and brought back in. Dude, so many people had issues, and the, the thing fell apart because it was a one-man show, and he even confesses he was driving and driving and driving that thing so hard. Mark Driscoll was the king of pursuing you with the law. He told one of my friends, and I wish I could name his name, but I don't want to divulge his private information. He's an older friend, great pastor. Uh, his church was named Mars Hill, and his church was named Mars Hill before 
Mark Driscoll's church was named Mars Hill. And he was an independent church, like not related anything to Mars Hill. Mars Hill copyrighted that name with Mark Driscoll and went after every other organization that had that name and said, we want you to cease using that name. This brother, to avoid a lawsuit, even though he wasn't related, he was in literally a totally different place than Mars Hill Church. He was threatened with a lawsuit if he wouldn't change the name of his church. And he had it before they ever even had the name. And he conceded to that just to avoid a lawsuit with his own brother. That was going on while that place was exploding. As well as you had to sign a document if you wanted to go work at Mars Hill, that if you were to leave and start a church, you couldn't start one within 30 miles of their people. Now, I understand we have people leave and try to start churches all the time and do weirdy stuff with us. We'll just warn people against them, do a disfellowship, you know, if they're being divisive. If they leave on good terms, you can do whatever you want. But if you try to start taking people from the church, obviously that's wrong, you know. So we'll do that. But I couldn't imagine taking that person to court. Like, you left our, like, like as if uh, we're in the financial planning industry. My dad was telling me that's what people do in the business world. If you leave and take the clients, you know, from that company, they have the right to sue you, etc. That was going on in the church world. The Bible says in Corinthians, it would be better for you to be wronged than for you to sue each other over church matters in the court system. Is anybody hearing me today? Okay, let's see. Uh, Alexia says, imagine if Jesus said we were too much. He wants to be delivered from his sheep. Yes. Yes, this, this is madness. Here's, can I tell you, everybody look up at me, please. As I say when I preach, those who are listening, can I tell you what I think about you? Can I tell you what I tell pastors about you behind closed doors? I love you. I love pastoring you. And if I've gotten some gray hairs, I'm teasing you. I got gray hairs because I'm an early balder, uh, an early grayer. And I love pastoring. I don't want to do anything else. I don't regret taking the call. God didn't trick me, and I'll do it until I die. And I hope my children grow up loving the ministry, just as I got to see with my spiritual father, and all of them have a part in the ministry. Whether they're full-time or not, that's between them and God. If they're a hairdresser and still love serving in the church, that's all I want, you know. But God gave us that call as pastors and shepherds, and we truly should love people. Amen. Anybody else before I roll out? I know I got a little long-winded there at the end. Uh, you know, talking about some of these pastors, some I have met, some I, you know, don't know. But uh, I think it's time, pastors, we stop repeating these same mistakes. You know, here's another book, uh, Leading on Empty by Wayne Cordero. Cordero. Uh, just sad, man. Just so sad. I just don't understand what, you know, why, why is it we have to wait till we burn out to say, God, just burn me up? Let, let's, you know, my thing is if I never write a book like this, does that mean I've never been faced with these same temptations? I say it like this. You can't tell me I can't relate to you because I haven't been defeated by the enemy that defeats you. What if I defeated that enemy and never let it get to me the way it did to you? Still couldn't I teach you? Now, I'm not saying I can relate to every enemy you're facing in life, but I'm just saying if I'm a pastor and I haven't experienced burnout, is your argument back to me going to be, Joe, you've never faced this, you've never faced that? Or could it possibly be, Joe, tell me how you defeated the devil of burnout? Because maybe the reason why I haven't burned out is because that demon's been defeated in Jesus' name. All right? So we should learn from each other's victories, not just harping on each other's defeat. And you know what? Let me read this before we go. Let me you know, because some people may say, Joe, you're only 20 years in the ministry. I've been 40 years in the ministry. I'm going to read to you before I go 
because I was taking a class in my doctoral classes, uh, a class in my doctoral program on this spiritual renewal and pastors not burning out. And I put up this quote and you could almost tell like people hated the testimony. Like they didn't even want to hear the testimony, let alone believe the testimony. And it's not my testimony. It is a testimony from my hero, Lester Summerall. And let's listen to what he said here, okay? Let me put it up here for you. It's going to take me just a second to find it. Lester Summerall, Goodbye Planet Earth. He wrote it at the end of his life. Let me put it, Goodbye. No, let me see, Earth. Now, what would be the name of that? Death. The mystery of death. There we go. I'm going to put it up here for you. Tell me what you guys think when you see this, okay? Listen to what he says here. This is how he ends the book where he talks about death, and he knows his time is coming to an end. Okay, let me see here. I hate the word retirement. Why retire when you've just reached a fruitful place to grow fruit? You've been through experiences that you have to share. You have something to give away. Why die? Okay? And then he says, uh, why uh, we should not fear death. I don't fear death. In fact, I have a great desire for death because it's the only thing that separates me from the awesome presence of the Lord Almighty. Now watch what he says here. That's the end. Uh, watch what he says here about how he would um, describe his life being with his wife and all the things uh, that he went through here. Of course, I'm doing this on the fly. I want you guys to hear this. I put this up. Oh, help me find it here. Where would I do it? And I'll do it here. No, this. Nope, notebook. Okay. Let's do this. Thank you for your patience. Hopefully, hopefully this will bless somebody. The Bible says life is short. Oh, come on. Don't do me like this. Let me go, no regrets. Let me look up regrets. Don't you hate it when the guy does it on the fly and doesn't have it ready? There we go. Okay. I put this up on my, you know, board when I was doing doctoral studies. And people got like so bothered by it, man. Look, look at this. The good life. Those who have had a hard time in life usually die with great bitterness. I have had a great time here. <laughs> I just love him. I love Lester Sumrall, man. They don't make him like that anymore. I have been blessed by the loving family. My mother was a wonderful Christian. My older brother and sister were eager to be helpful and kind. Now, he's still saying if you have those issues, you can have a great life, right? Called into ministries. I felt uh, if you didn't have all that, you could, you could come to Jesus and be healed of it, too. He talks about that. I felt success from the first meeting I conducted. I went around the world starting off with $12 in my pocket. Later, I had an Later, I had a hand in building churches, and the money came in without struggle. The same was true with the Christian TV stations we have started. My life has been good. I've had a, I had a precious wife for 49 years and eight, eight months. We never had a fight. Now, I can't even testify that. But listen, why would I get mad at him? Why would I get mad at him because this is his testimony, right? Like, why would I be like, oh, man, why not look to him instead of being bitter like, oh, you know, you think you're better than me? No, why not look up to him? Why not be like, dude, I wish I didn't have a fight with my wife ever again. I wish I could say 
that the, you know, like we've been married, uh, like my wife and I, we've been married 14 years. And like one day I'll be married for 50 years. And then I can say the last 35 years, I've never had a real fight with my wife. Like, why not look up to that? Why are we so much like, oh, just tell me how real it is. Tell me how much you suffer. Why not talk about our victories in our sufferings? Isn't that what Paul said? In our sufferings, we're made strong, okay? I had a precious wife for 49 years and eight months. We never had a fight. We lived in sweetness and harmony without a bitter word spoken between us. When I say goodbye, earth, it was nice knowing you. I mean it. I have no regrets. I've traveled all over the world. I've lived in castles in Switzerland and eaten dinners in palaces over the years. I have met many wonderful people. Everything I've done has been a success. I can't say that, but wouldn't I like to be able to say that? Like how many of you want to say, I still want to keep failing at things at life? Like once again, let's say I, I have a 50-year anniversary with my ministry and I can say first 20 years, I had, you know, some failures, but the last 30 years haven't had to go bankrupt again, haven't had to shut down a church again, haven't made mistakes again. And uh, when I talk about shutting down a church, it has nothing to do with uh, uh, morals or splits or anything. It was when I pastored in New Orleans, man, I just couldn't afford it. It was an inner city work. I tried to take it from the projects to the people and I just couldn't afford everything. And I just felt the Lord wanted me to restart in a fresh new city. And I gave the people and all that we had to another ministry that continued on to Hurricane Katrina. And some of those people still consider me a spiritual father. Talk about that in the book, Discipleship-Based Churches as well. But, uh, you know, once again, why not look to this as an example? See, I still believe ministers should be an example to us of how to live, right? I've never failed at anything because the Lord has had his hand in my life. When I say goodbye, it's been nice knowing you. It's the truth. I have had a good time here, and I'm going on to heaven to have another good time. I'd probably have a better time up there than down here. I'll leave this world without any heaviness of heart. I'll leave without any regrets or disappointments. Isn't that how Paul left the earth? I mean, even our disciples living and dying under persecution. I mean, did they like look pitiful? They're dying singing hymns, my friends. Their face is glowing. Come on. I'll do now this part will make you cry. Made my wife have some tears as well. I do it. I let me say it right, excuse me. I do everything all the same, and I'll take the same girl with me. It's been a good life and a good time. And he has gone on to meet the Lord. Can I just encourage Samuel Chad today and anybody listening, would you live out that kind of a ministry? Can we have men like this encourage us again and women like this encourage us again? I'm just really sad and grieved that now we have to talk about brokenness like it's the normal thing just to get people to relate to us because we, we want to tear down Lester Summerall's ministry like, oh, he wasn't real enough because he never sinned and got restored and never had an affair like David. He's not a great example. I want people to have affairs as my leaders. So I want, I want broken people, you know, this and that and two baby mamas and stuff. Come on. I mean, can we, can we get past that? Jesus never sinned Is he, and he's still our example, okay? I'm not saying as a Christian, you got to be condemned when you sin, but get over your sin. Be free from your sin. Learn to not do that sin. Grow up from that. Amen. There should be no excuse whether we're a minister, a person in the congregation where we live in sin or discouragement, or we constantly feel like we're in the wrong place. My friends, we should be content. The Bible says with, godly, uh, with contentment is great gain. We should, you know, I should be content. If this is, at the end of the day, the best church that we can have is this size with this many people and this many finances. I should be content with that. Not trying to do more, 
to then have more that I don't like? Like, what would you want? Like, let me just say this before we go, because I know I've been a little long-winded and some of you are still tracking with me. It'll probably be an hour podcast. I'm coming right on an hour here. What would you rather have me do? Be a pastor that pastors 10,000 people and yet burns out, has to have an, you know, an affair to get my stress relieved, you know, restart after restoration, whatever, burn out my children. Would you rather me have that in a discouragement towards working with people or pastor the few hundred that we have with the few hundred thousand in the bank, whatever, and enjoy life every moment of the way? with a smile on my face, great blood pressure, great cholesterol, great testimony from my wife, great you know, testimony from my children. Have I failed because I don't have as many as Willow Creek? In my mind, he failed. He traded his integrity and all that for 20,000. That's not worth it to me. 20,000 people is not worth my integrity and kissing some woman in a hotel because I'm tired and missing my wife or whatever his, his excuse was, right? I want to keep my integrity. I want to be like Lester Sumrall. And if I can have both, success and happiness, of course. Of course I want both. Same thing with you. If you can have success and happiness, yes, have both. But don't trade your happiness for success. Amen. We love you. My wife and I love you. And I don't see any questions, but I do love some of the comments here. I hope the conversation keeps going. I will be putting this up on our podcast, Metro Praise International app, or on iTunes. And uh, share if you care. God bless you.